So if you turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 4, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study of this great book. Remember that Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12. Um, He came in later. But as God's beautiful providence worked out in his life, he got rejected by the Apostle Paul. And that must have been a total bummer. But what it did was it ended up pushing him toward Peter. And he uh, he spent time with Peter and he traveled with Peter. Uh, The tradition tells us that he was Peter's interpreter, translator, kind of the right-hand man. And so he was carefully listening to all of Peter's teachings and preachings and probably had a lot of conversations with Peter as well. And so when you read Mark, in a sense, you're hearing Peter's direct first-hand memories of walking with Jesus. Mark wasn't there, but Peter really was. And today's story actually is one of those times when uh, you can really see the first-hand accounts, the fresh, vivid memories of a, 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 a fisherman and water and a boat and a storm. So we've got two uh, bits to look at today, two parts. Uh, this, we don't know exactly when this day started, but we're getting toward the end of the day as we jump into Mark chapter 4, verse 30. Um, you know, the very first part of Mark uh, 4, it says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, so he's spending time with the sea. He's teaching. It's a very long day. He's teaching many parables. He's had private conversations with his disciples. And he seems to be teaching them primarily, but there are crowds all around as well, crowding in. And uh, it's an exhausting day. So we get at the very tail end of, of his teaching. Um, actually, we could even jump up into the previous little parable um, the verse 26, he's the kingdom of God parables. If you look at Matthew 13, he records a whole bunch of these parables parallel to this, but I'm actually studying the book of Mark, uh, so I'm not necessarily trying to do a harmony of the Gospels here. We're sort of sticking with Mark's rendering. Um, and so last week we looked a little bit at it, and let me just read verse 26 and following. It says, And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. This wonderful mystery to the kingdom of God. We we spread the word of God, the seed. We preach. We pray for people. And we talk to them, we talk to our family and friends, and we give them bits of the seed, the word of God. And some of them respond, some of them don't respond. We don't know how or why. What we know is the mystery is that the Holy Spirit works in hearts to bring results. We can't bring results. That's not even our responsibility, ultimately. It's, It's God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to preach the word, to teach the word, to reach out in love, and to do acts of kindness and love and mercy uh, to those who need to hear the gospel. So he knows not 
how. Uh, then verse 28, the earth produces by itself. You know, just It happens. God brings the results. Uh, first the blade. This is beautiful because it's this little process. It doesn't even happen all at once. It, we don't even see the results sometimes. Sometimes we see a little bit of the results. We get to know somebody, we're with them for a few weeks, and we see a little bit of growth. It's very exciting. Will it be a full, real plant? We don't know. That's God's deal. Uh, first, the blade. So imagine if you plant corn, uh, it shoots up a little green blade. The very first thing, it looks like a, a little tiny sword coming out of the ground. First, the blade, then the ear. It kind of grows up. And then the full grain in the ear, fully developed. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. God brings results and we are sometimes there for the harvest. Uh, It is a glorious time to be there when God brings results. Now our text for today is again the two parts. This first one is the parable of the mustard seed. And then second, Jesus calms a storm. Let me read the text. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now note the, the time tag here next. On that day, just the language in this part is, is again, that very firsthand, fresh. Peter remembers these things so distinctly as if it happened yesterday. Uh, although when, at the time of the writing, it's you know decades ago. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, And I think he's saying this in a very exhausted voice. Let us go across to the other side. Now, they're on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the populated side. It's very busy. Lots of folks there. Um, And they're all interacting. They're all connected, these folks. You know, news travels fast. We've seen this several times already in Mark where Jesus is in a house and they look out the door... The whole village is out there, Jesus. <laughs> How do they all find out? You know, there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, and somehow they found out anyway. You know, uh, humans have a way of communicating, and news travels fast. And so it, there's a real sense here of Jesus saying, "I've got to get away from this crowd." So let's let's go across to the other side, to the eastern shore very sparsely populated, much drier and sort of desert-like. And leaving the crowd, they listen to this language, they took him. 
with them in the boat. So Jesus is very human here. He's literally exhausted, and they're, they're almost carrying him onto the boat. You know, they took him. They, they said, okay, Jesus, let's get you onto this boat. You, you know, you're exhausted. Let's bring you here. And see, even, there's even more language that describes that. They took him with them in the boat just as he was. <laughs> there's no time for any, no, no changes, nothing. It's just like, let's, let's get him out of here. Get him onto this boat. And then, um, this is a unique phrase. The next one is, and other boats were with him. No other, the, uh, none of the other gospels have that. It's the idea that he's here, he's here beside the, the ocean, not the ocean, the, the sea, the big, huge lake. Lake Tahoe, for example. But it's lower elevation. <laughs> and, and even here, He's in this boat, and other people are kind of scrambling onto boats, and they crowd around him uh, with their own boats there. And, you know, Peter's remembering this. Wow, yeah, that was, that was really incredible. Uh, all of those people there still crowding around, still wanting what he could give them. He'd been healing people. He's healed thousands of people up to this point. He's cast out many, many evil spirits up to this point. He's shown amazing power up to this point. And so they want help from him, and they're pressing in. So they take off. And then verse 37 says, you know, subsequently, sometime later, we don't know exactly when, but a great windstorm arose. Windstorm, notice he's he's saying, yeah, there wasn't, it wasn't any rain, but man, that wind just whipped up. And it was crazy. And they're this, you know, this sizable boat. It's 20 feet long, maybe 25 feet long. But it's, it's just a, a lake boat. It doesn't have real tall sides. Um, and it says, and the waves were breaking into the boat. This is a disastrous situation. You're out uh, maybe a couple of miles in this lake. It seemed so placid and quiet and calm. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this howling windstorm, creating these massive waves, wind waves, massive for a lake, three or four feet waves, and they're breaking into the boat. This is a really huge problem. And, and again, these men know the water. These are fish, fishermen. They're not uh, like me out there. Uh, now, is that the stern or is that the bow or is it bow or is it bow you know that's sort of me that's my level <laughs> but th- these guys know it all right and so they're out there and the waves are breaking into the boat and look see verse 37 so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern asleep on on the cushion it's like what the stern is the back the aft it's a, you know, a little deck there. It's a small boat. He's sound asleep in the middle of this squall, this windstorm, this crashing waves. He's sound asleep. This is ridiculous. And they woke him and said to him, you know, how would they have said this? Excuse me, teacher. Uh, we have something to ask. If you have time, 
<laughs> no, no, they're screaming at the top of their lungs, okay? <laughs> it's a windy, howling situation. Their lives are in danger. They're scared. They're panicky. They're giving into, honest to goodness, real fear. And so they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're dying here? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, that's a kind of awesome personification there. Um, you don't, you don't actually talk to waves. You know, it doesn't usually do anything, you know, but he's rebuking the water and rebuking the wind. Uh, and he, he says in this rebuke, basically, honestly, in the Greek, it's be quiet, be quiet. <laughs> uh, peace, be still. And these are commands. This wonderful personification of the wind and the sea. And the wind ceased. It stopped. It obeyed him. And there was a great calm. Imagine that transition. They go from this terrifying, windy situation where the waves are crashing in over the sides of the boat. And they're, they're freaking out with good reason. And then, whoosh, calm. Wow. Whoosh, wow. You know, and, and, and look what the text says. Uh, first of all, Jesus says this to them. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? <laughs> I love that question. We're going to think about this later. I'm just reading it now. Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. Their fear of the waves became fear of God, which I think is appropriate. The Bible says, don't, don't fear the one who can destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy your body and soul. Let's have more fear of God than any other dangerous situation. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, this is amazing. It should blow our mind. This is a holy scripture for us today. We look at Jesus, the, the exhausted human being who needs to be helped onto a boat. And he's so exhausted. They lay him down on the softest place on the boat. There's some kind of cushion there. And he's sound asleep. He's a human being, fully human. And yet, awake, he's fully God. At the same time, this is our Jesus Christ, the, the mystery and the marvel of who he is. Father, add your blessing to the reading of your word, please. Amen. So let's look at this. How do these two stories fit together? Well, you can see from my title slide there, I'm trying to say that uh, there's a contrast here. It's a big contrast in these texts that, I've, that Mark put together for us. It's a big kingdom, and yet there's a big test. So let's start with the big kingdom. Let's go back to the story of the mustard seed. He's, he's describing to the disciples 
what to expect in the future. And we are, you know, we're back to the future. We are in the future at this point. And uh, this is very, very true. Whoops, whoops. My sight gag. Oh, never mind. <laughs> he laughs alone. Um, <laughs> never mind. Everything's cool. Um, it, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a divine uh, rhetorical hyperbole in this text. Jesus isn't saying absolutely that the mustard seed's the smallest seed ever. Okay, it's like duh. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot about all those seeds. No, he's not saying that. Okay, some people try to like. See, Jesus is wrong because I found a seed that's smaller. (laughs) It's not his point at all, okay? He's just saying it's a very, very small seed, and the contrast between the size of the seed and the plant that grows is phenomenal. Um, And and he says, so it's like this. It goes from seed to this massive mustard bottle, right? Uh, (laughs) That's my little sight gag, you know? (laughs) Uh, no, no, I, I didn't mean that. It, it goes, it goes to like a, a mustard plant. And if you're a Californian, you realize, uh, it probably happens elsewhere too, but mustard is a wild, uh, wild plant here. It grows like crazy. It's very, very easy to propagate. You know, it might start with one tiny little seed and, and within a few generations, it'll take over entire fields. Um, and actually, uh, you know, it, he says in the story, the birds of the air can make nests in the shade of the mustard plant. So what exactly is his point here? It, it's actually very simple, very straightforward. It's an amazing, wonderful thing. That is, he's saying that the kingdom of God, it, even now, it may look small and insignificant. You know, uh, I was talking with somebody from... Ah, oh, where were they from? Somewhere in the Midwest. And so I told them I was a pastor. And they said, well, what's it like to be a pastor here? You know, because we're back where we're from, like most people actually go to church. And, and I said, yeah, and here they've done studies where it's down to like three or 4% of the population goes to church uh, here. It can seem, you know, really insignificant, you know, really quaint and irrelevant, like you, you do what on Sunday morning? Don't you realize there's an amazing ocean out there? You can go diving, you can go walking, you can go kayaking, you can go fishing. Need I go on? You know, you're all going to run out of here at a moment. What? We could have done that? <laughs> you know, but um, so it can seem really small and irrelevant like a mustard seed. But Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is, is the biggest, best, most wonderful thing that we get to be a part of. Um, it, it is a lasting kingdom. It, it's, it's supra-politics. It doesn't matter who is the leader of any given country at any time. We as the church, we're, we're members of God's kingdom. It transcends all other kingdoms. You know, we have this huge privilege of being a part of God's great success story, the kingdom of God. No matter what happens in our lives, the Bible says you're a citizen of heaven. You know, we believe in being citizens on earth too, and we should be good citizens, but 
government on earth is, is, is staffed by failures and sinners and uh, human beings who always will let you down. No matter which political system you're looking at, uh, the, the big flaw of human lead leadership is it's run by sinful human beings. And so this kingdom is crumbling and temporary compared to the kingdom of God. So he's saying, guys, what we're doing here is massive and big and wonderful. Uh, in fact, the kingdom of God is, here I have a little some ideas about it. It's a worldwide kingdom. Uh, I had that strange privilege again last night. Uh, the, one of the best uses for me for Facebook Messenger is I get to preach in Pakistan through Facebook Messenger. Ain't that cool? <laughs> and they're, they're 12 hours ahead of us, and their service starts. They want the sermon to be about, uh, about 10.15 to 11.15. And I have a friend there, Amir, and he's in this city called Lahore, and they have a nice little church, but it's really hard to find preachers uh, there. And so he literally is asking me all the time to do this. I have only done it a few times so far, but I did it last night. And here I'm preaching through the internet to a congregation about this size probably, in, a, in a, even a smaller room though. And you know, the kingdom of God's worldwide. It's in Lahore, Pakistan. Uh, it's in China. It's everywhere. It's in, uh, I've been to India. The church there is, is vibrant and growing. The church in South America, vibrant and growing. The church in, in uh, Africa, in the nations of Africa, vibrant and growing. Uh, it's the biggest amazing kingdom you can imagine. And we're a part of this, this worldwide kingdom. No matter where you go, you, know, be, you can say hallelujah, and some Christian will light up. <laughs> um, and be, because that's sort of the universal word. Um, and it's an eternal kingdom, too. You know, Jesus is talking about how big this thing is, but I think part of that implication is that it, it's... Um, supra-generational. It's not just one generation. It's not just a fad. It's going to go on and on and on. It's part of the thing with mustard is that it really produces a lot of seeds. And the seeds are scattered on the ground and God will bring the growth. So we're a part of this eternal kingdom. And then there's this other part that, that Jesus says about the birds. We don't know exactly what he's talking about here, but probably tying it in with other parables that he told. He says, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. He tells us that the kingdom of God is like a field where somebody has planted wheat, right? But the enemy comes in at night and plants weeds that grow up amongst the wheat in the field. And so the kingdom of God at this time is a mixed bag. And just because somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a part of the church, they, they might be a non-member just taking advantage of the, the environment and the culture of the church. And in the case of the birds early on, he said uh, in the parable of the sower, you know, the birds were used by Satan to snatch away the, the seed of the word of God. Um, in the same chapter, he used that analogy. So again, 
We don't know exactly what he means here, but it does seem to indicate that uh, those birds can sneak in there and take advantage of, of the culture and blessing of the church. And then finally, though, there's this bit here uh, in verse 33 and 34. It's, it's an interesting part. He says, with many such parables, he spoke the word, and notice, the word. Jesus is preaching the word. Very awesome. He spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And actually, here's a huge benefit to being a part of the kingdom of God is actually it's the means of entering into the kingdom of God is that God, the Holy Spirit, explains everything to us. He's the teacher. He opens our hearts and mind to the word of God. And so a huge privilege of citizenship is to know the truth. And God has revealed the truth to us. And I think that's what's going on here when it says Jesus explains everything to his chosen disciples. Of course, you remember that this happened in... uh, Chapter 4 already, uh, if you look up into verse 11, chapter 4, 11, uh, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. I'd like to reiterate this. It, it's so important. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you actually really totally believe he's your savior and he died for your sins, Remember, the gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And you really believe that. That's a gift of God. That's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. He has opened your mind and your your heart to the, in the words of Jesus, to the secret of the kingdom of God. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Again, we don't know who the chosen, who the elect are. We we sow the seed, we preach the word, we teach, we reach out, and then we pray and look for God to bring the increase. And Jesus says he will. He will give the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. You know, it's kind of saying, if you're not chosen by God, it's just mumbo jumbo. It's like, or mythology, or just stupid. <laughs> it's just foolish, uh, the, this thing we call truth. You know, like, for example, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a huge claim, massive claim, that Jesus is saying, I, as a person, I am, in the, in the Spanish, it's, I am El Camino. I am the El Camino. I'm the road. I am the road. I am the way. Hadas is the Greek word, by the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. Without me, you can't even come to the Father. This is the claim of Jesus. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
That takes a work of God to open our hearts and minds. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is uh, in parables. And verse 12 is very dark and, and actually difficult to understand to some extent. It says, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's a weird way of putting it, but it's actually a quote, of course, from the Holy Word of God. Uh, So that's saying that God controls the information flow, and he reveals it to whom he will. So where that leads us is, honestly, if, again, if you believe this, you believe this is true, then you're blessed. And you ought to be very, very grateful for this awesome kingdom that we're a part of. So I think that's the main point of the parable of the, the mustard seed. It's a worldwide kingdom. It is an eternal kingdom. There's, there's a mix in there. It's not like the, all the people there belong there yet. God will sort it out someday, uh, and yet, and we are blessed to know the truth as we get into God's kingdom. So, at the end of this teaching, as the text says, they decided to take a nice quiet boat ride in the evening. Obviously, not quite accurate here, but uh, the idea of just, it was a serene escape from the crowd. The crowd is a storm of demand and pressure, and stress on the disciples and on Jesus. So in God's providence, he provides a way to escape into a bigger storm. (laughs) And just watch that in our lives, right? We might have a storm uh, that pressures us, and we try to escape it, and God in his providence has a bigger test for us to face. God is testing them uh, through this storm. Um, so this, the weather, you know, the weather started getting rough. The little ship was tossed. If it weren't for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would have been lost. <laughs> oh, that's Gilligan. Never mind. But that, that's seriously what happens. You know, they're out there a ways. They left the other boats. And this great, verse 37, the great windstorm arose. It just came. Now, may I remind you that God's word says all things are his servants. I think I have a slide for that later, but I just want to start you thinking that way right now. All things are his servants. All, what things? How many things? What percentage? You know, 100%. All things are his servants. That's why we don't believe in luck. There's no such thing as accidental fortune or misfortune for that matter. God is at work. He is testing them. He, in his sovereign plan for their life has brought this difficulty into their life. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was already filling. They're in a desperate situation and Jesus is asleep. He's not concerned at all. Uh, He's asleep. He's exhausted, asleep on the cushion back there and they are in distress. I, I have, again, I'm, I feel a little guilty about doing this, but it, it's totally appropriate, right? This, this is a, let's see, right here. Okay, okay, never mind. Oh, yeah, that is the picture I was looking for. Forgive me for not realizing that. that that's actually that, that, uh, 
that duck boat on the, the lake in Missouri a few minutes before it went down a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And 17 people died on, on that little boat. And it's, it's really a very similar story. It was a, you know, a lake that's normally just completely calm and placid. And a, a windstorm came in, a thunderstorm, and it hit the boat. And it was a very tragic situation. And here's a classic work of art that kind of shows it as well. You can imagine uh, the situation and the contrast of Jesus sleeping through that uh, is interesting. You know, what is that saying? You know, Jesus is there on the boat, uh, but he's totally calm. He's not worried at all. You know, Jesus isn't going to die on this boat, right? This is an impossibility. Uh, he's not going to drown in the lake. Oh, we, he was going to be our savior, but uh, <laughs> out, uh, circumstances out of our control. <laughs> you know, no, no, this can't happen at all. Uh, so he's apparently not worried at all. But they w- w- wake him up. And the, the language in this text is, as I said, just really, really cool. First of all, to tie in our psalm for today, uh, the very first part of our psalm, I call on the Lord in my distress. Actually, ESV says, in my distress, I call on the Lord and he answers me. And this is, this is what they're doing in their distress. Uh, they're feeling legitimate fear. Again, I don't want to say that they were out of line for feeling fear. Their assessment is correct. They are overwhelmed. The situation is overwhelming. There's this funny little thing, uh, you know, that somehow got started somewhere that God will never test you beyond what you're able to bear. You know, I just want to say that's not in the Bible. (laughs) In fact, many times the Bible illustrates that he tests us way beyond our ability to bear so that we, we call out to him. He is the one who can bear it. He is the one who can fix it. He is the one. And, and sometimes it doesn't end this way. You know, sometimes he doesn't choose to save us. Sometimes the duck boat does sink and people lose their lives. In calling out to him, for example, there's a great call, very famous call, Jesus on the cross. was well, one of the things he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a call for help. Uh, he's appropriately horrified. I don't want to say he's fearful, but he's appropriately horrified by what he's going through and the fact that he's bearing the, the very wrath of God. He's, he's become, the Bible says, he became sin for us, the perfect righteous lamb of God. And he's saying, God, you have forsaken me. Why? And yet... In the short run, God continued to forsake him to the point of death. He died. But of course, in the longer run, he did not abandon his Holy One to the grave, but raised him from the dead. So um, even though he may not answer in the short run, he may not deliver us from that cancer or that problem or that firing or whatever you're, you're facing, there's no promise in the Bible that says when you call out to him, he'll immediately answer exactly the way you hope he will answer. You know, that would be false advertising. It's not true. 
uh, he will do what is best. That is true. So they're, give, they're in fear. But remember this, fear and panic are not your friends. Uh, they, they want you to drive you away from your faith. And they call out, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care? And again, I want to re- reiterate, all of this is orchestrated. Uh, the Holy Word says, Psalm 119, 91, it says it's very many ways and very many different places, but we had this just last week in my sermon. I just love this. All things are your servants. Again, what looks like natural causes and contingency and, well, it just so happened that there was a hurricane there and this happened and this happened. The scripture says all of this is orchestrated by the sovereign God. All things are his servants. He's, they're all doing what he wills. I know it's massive to believe that, but we're talking about God. He's the infinite God who's the creator and sustainer of all things. You know, you're, you're not sitting on a chair that is independent from God. The, the molecules in those pews are being held together by God himself. All of creation is sustained by Jesus Christ by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, So this shows us that the testing is intended by him for good, not to push us to sin and to despair or to suicide, but to push us to to him, to, to victory, to service to him. So it's a beautiful thing. He yells out, peace, be still. Peace be still. And as I read it, I pointed out, oh my, I see my time is almost gone. We'll just uh, believe it's not. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. i got to take a couple minutes. There's some really good stuff here. Uh, you guys need to stretch or anything? Stand up? Are you good? Okay, we're good. Sorry. I've got to get to this. This is super cool. Okay, This is the coolest thing ever, I think. Look at the word of God. This is the holy word of God. Hallelujah. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Uh, What what I think is so cool here is this word rebuke. Uh, In English, this is all we think of as rebuke. In fact, if you look up the uh, word in the etymology of the word, uh, it, in the English word, it really means to beat back, to, to, to hit and to beat back. So it has this huge negative connotation, right? But in Greek, it's so much cooler. It's way, way cooler and way better. Rebuke in Greek is this word right here, uh, epitemao. Epi is, is to, to put upon, and tamao is value. Tamao is something that is valuable. And, and a rebuke is, is, is like introducing the proper values into a situation. Saying, this is the standard. And in a way, when you rebuke something or someone, you're saying, I expect better of you. I'm holding you to a higher standard. I don't want to beat you back with a stick. No, 
The, the biblical view of rebuke, and pastors are told to rebuke, by the way, is to, to say God has a higher value by which we should be living. And he expects you to desire to live for him and not to continue to be uh, giving in to your sinful nature. Epitomaos, to place value on. And actually what's super cool here is Jesus is rebuking the wind and the sea. He's saying to the forces of nature, you guys are broken. You forces of nature are cursed because of God's curse on sin. Nature isn't supposed to be our enemy. We're not supposed to get killed by a boat ride on a lake. It, it, that's a part of God's curse on the lake, on the wind, etc. And so Jesus is actually saying, I expect better of you, wind. <laughs> I'm going to fix you, and all of creation will be a part of God's kingdom and will not be dangerous anymore when salvation is complete. And, and so let's, let's move on. Because look what happens next. There's this great calm. The wind ceases, And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, what would you call that? I'd call it a rebuke. He rebukes the wind and the sea, and he rebukes his disciples. And it's in this same light that I expect better of you, disciples. You know, I understand your fear. Uh, he's probably compassionate about their anxiety and panic. But he's saying, as a believer, I expect you to believe. I expect you to trust me. I expect you to have faith. And his actual words are, why are you so afraid? And, and notice it's a present tense. You're, why are you this way? Why do you continue to be this way? Have you still no faith? You know, if you've seen all of my works, isn't faith growing in your life? Where is your faith? So let's you and I properly and lovingly and encouragingly be rebuked. When we go through trials all the time, all the time, small ones, big ones, medium-sized ones, whatever they are, when we, we panic, we fear, we, we lose our faith, we act like there is no faith, we cuss, we get angry, we fight with each other, uh, going through stress, and God wants something bigger and better out of us. You know, by the way, you're a part of the eternal kingdom. You're a part of the worldwide kingdom. You're blessed to have this revelation. You have all the privilege. And he's kind of saying, now act like it. Let's start progressively growing to act like it. So this is more the, the idea. This is a a football coach, a college football coach, uh, and successful. Uh, and it's that situation where sometimes a college football coach has to get in somebody's face. And that's really, and it's appropriate, you know? It's the right thing. It's like, you know, why did you run the wrong way? You know? <laughs> Don't you know we're going that way? <laughs> and you say, yes, coach, tell him, you know, and you, he's got to be lovingly rebuked in power and strength. Rebuke is confrontation, eh? You can't remove confrontation from rebuke. Um, and, and that's really more what Jesus 
is doing here. And the beautiful response is, they were filled with great fear. As I said, the fear of the water became appropriate, and they feared God. Who then is this? We should be knocked down to worship Jesus properly through this text. So this is my summary of today's message. Summary. We are a part of God's kingdom. You know, hallelujah. It's a miracle of grace, a miracle of his kindness, uh, bought at the highest price ever, the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. And, but we will be tested. <laughs> We're a part of this awesome kingdom, but it's not like Disneyland where everything is uh, supposedly wonderful. It's a kingdom that God still tests us while we're still a part of the kingdom. And fear and panic will drive away our faith. So finally, Jesus expects us to be growing in our faith. So let us pray to that end and look for ways that God gives us tests to grow in our faith. Oh, Father, please, in your kindness, thank you for your loving forgiveness. We confess we have not honored you by our responses to tests, small, medium, or, and or large. And we want to grow in our faith. Give us confidence in you. Uh, Lord, we pray that we will be improved by the testing and we will, we will understand the rebuke is, is placing value on us and values clarification to where, what you want us to be and do. Uh, so Lord, please rebuke us and help us to hear your precious voice. Thank you for your holy word today. And teach us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.